Well, as we have uh, continued in this series called Courageous, uh, I've felt compelled to share stories from people or have people share their stories of how God has given them courage in different times of their life. And so uh, this morning, I have another testimony to share with you from my good friend Todd Schrader. Watch this story. Hi, my name is Todd Schrader, and I'm here to share with you a short story about how God gave me courage. A little over a year ago, in January of 2018, we lost my father. He was one of my best friends and my idol, and it was really difficult. In anticipation of his death, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to handle myself emotionally or how that would all work. Um, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to be the pillar of emotional stability for my family and my mother that I needed to be. And I found it amazing that after my dad passed, almost immediately I had this sense of warmth come over me and it felt like God wrapping his arms around me and making me comfortable and confident and I would say courageous because I knew that was going to be a very difficult time. And I'll never forget how uh, that week went between his death and the funeral and how God blessed us with comfort and courage. Um, something I'll never forget. How about you? You have a story of how God gave you courage, how God worked in your life at a certain time. Uh, we'll continue to hear these stories throughout this series. And uh, if you've got a story to tell, you can certainly share it with me. I'd love to hear it. And uh, um, I think we could probably make time or space for you to have others uh, hear that story. Um, but I don't know if you're like me. I would imagine that you've had this experience as well. Like, okay, uh, I, I sometimes feel like, um, like there's a little distance between God and me. Like, okay, I'm going through this hard time, or I've got, you know, I need some help, or I feel like I need some wisdom or whatever. And it feels like God is silent, like he's not there, like, like, like maybe he doesn't even care. You ever experienced that? As children of the Lord, um, I think one of the troubling facets of our relationship to him can be at times, not all the time, but at times, where we're feeling this separation from him, like there's a wall, like there's a, a barrier, like there's... There's an obstacle that has gotten in, in the way of a close relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever sensed this, but where you, you get that sense like you're saying to the Lord, Lord, why, why don't I feel that connection to you like, like I have in the past? Well, we're in this series entitled Courageous, and it's a study through Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 11. Now, just to kind of get us all up to speed... The book of Joshua starts uh, right after the death of Moses. Moses was leading the nation of Israel, and his successor was Joshua. And Joshua is now to lead the nation of Israel, like over a million strong, into the promised land. So we've, we've covered things like, um, you know, how, does, how do you get the, the nation of Israel across the Jordan River so that they might go into the promised land because the promised land was all the land west of the Jordan River and they happen to be on the east side. Well, God stops up the water of the Jordan River and the whole nation goes then across the river and now they're in the promised land 
And last week, we heard about this first battle that they had, the Battle of Jericho. And in that battle, uh, God totally gave them victory. I mean, it was just nothing. This Jericho was this fortress of a military outpost. And the walls came down and, you know, the nation of Israel went in and they totally took over the city. And it was just amazing. And now the nation of Israel is moving on to the next city to do battle with. And it's this small little military place called Ai. A-I. And as they're going to take over the city of Ai, the nation of Israel encounters trouble. So if you have your Bibles handy, you can follow along with me. We're going to begin reading in Joshua chapter 6, the end of Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. If you don't have a Bible handy, I will have the scriptures up here as you can see they're there right now. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 27. It says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. Now, let me just help us understand. What were these things under the ban? Uh, Back in chapter 6, right before they were going into Jericho, God told the nation of Israel, Listen, when we go into Jericho, don't take anything. Don't take any of the stuff in the city. I realize we're going to you know, take it over, but don't take any of it. Matter of fact, if you jump back to chop, chapter 6 and verse 18, it says this, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, that's everything in the city of Jericho, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed. Now, to be accursed means make the nation of Israel to be hostile toward God and therefore worthy of destruction. And bring, don't, don't uh, make the camp of Israel accursed, and bring trouble on it. Verse 19, But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So if you come out across any of these precious metals or anything of value, we're going to give that to the Lord and put it in His treasury. So now if you jump back to chapter 7 again in verse 1, The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. Here's how they did it. For Akan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, Joshua is totally oblivious to what Akan had done. And so it says in verse 2, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now, just to kind of understand where Ai is as in relationship to Jericho, I've got my handy dandy map here for us. And uh, to get our bearings here, um, this is the Dead Sea and this is the Jordan River, which they crossed. They took over Jericho, no problem. And now they head west about 10 miles to the city of Ai. All right? Back in our text, in uh, verse seven, beginning, or chapter 7, beginning at verse 3. They returned to Joshua, the spies did, and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. I mean, do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. But they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shib- uh, Shibarim 
and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I mean, Jericho was so easy, you know? Jericho, we just march around it for a few days and then the walls come tumbling down and we go up and we take the city, no problem. Why in I, which was even less of a fortress than, than Jericho, why all the trouble? I mean, and the, the soldiers, they were retreating, they were running away. And as they were running away, the, the, the soldiers and I killed at least 36 of them. What's going on? There was trouble in the promised land. When you or I encounter trouble in our lives, what do we do? How do we figure out, okay, what went wrong? Why is this trouble happening in my life? When something is troubling us, the first thing we're going to see this morning is that we, for many people, we tend to say, God, where are you? When we have something that we're struggling with, we oftentimes will say, God, where are you? Like, um, back when I was a pastor in Watsika, Illinois, uh, years ago, uh, I had a men's Bible study that I was leading. And uh, it, was a, it was a great group of guys. And we invited this young dad, this young guy from our community into the Bible study. And uh, he had never really put his faith in Jesus. Well, after he spent a little time with us, he actually trusted Jesus as his Savior. And uh, you could just tell he was excited about the Lord. He was, he was uh, just enjoying the, the fellowship with the other guys, the relationship with the other guys. And then, um, and then he, uh, he, he felt comfortable enough with us. Can't see you guys. You've got to be able to see my peeps, you know. So uh, he felt comfortable enough with us that he shared a deep secret in his past. He said to us, when he was growing up, his mom sexually abused him. And that was really amazing that he, he, he thought we were safe enough to share that. And then something strange happened. After that, he left the group. Like he never came back. And I wondered, like, did we say something wrong? I mean, was there, you know, what happened there? And so I went to his house, actually, and I, and I knocked on the door. He came to the door, and, and I talked to him, and I said, what, what's going, I mean, did we offend, you know, was there something that we did wrong, or... And he said, it just hit me. When my mom abused me, where was God? And he said, all these years later, I've got such pain. Where's God? Why doesn't he take the pain away? When something troubles us, it's common for us to say, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Joshua heard of 36 of his fine soldiers that he had a heart for were brutally killed as they were trying to retreat from Ai. And he had turmoil. And his response to that turmoil was, God, where were you? 
Read with me, if you will, verse, beginning at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, and they put, on, put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Which, by the, Amor- by, by the way, the Amorites and the Canaanites occupied all that land west of the Jordan. So all the promised land at the time was, was occupied by the Amorites and the Canaanites. So why did you deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? I mean, we, we ran away from our enemies. That's just not how it's supposed to go. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? God, this, this doesn't make sense. I thought you were the one that said you're going to bring your people into the promised land. So we cross the Jordan, we take Jericho, and now what, what is going on? Why weren't you there? This is a simple little battle. Where were you? Today I hear it often. Christians, they'll, they'll say, I know that in the book of Romans it says, it says, um, all things, all things work together for good. For those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And God, I, I've loved God. I mean, I've given my life to God. How come things aren't working together for my good? Why, why not? Sometimes, God allows hard times to hit us in order to mature us. When we go through trials, he's, he's honing us. He's softening the rough edges. Yet other times, I think those rough times are brought on by ourselves. That sometimes we play the part, we play a part in those troubling times. And even if we don't feel it, I want to tell you God is near even when we're responsible for some of those hard things we've, we've brought upon ourselves. God is still near, and God is saying to us, don't keep secrets from me. Don't keep secrets from me. I know you're going through a tough time. I understand the trouble that you face, but don't hide from me. That's what God says to us. I believe that's what he's saying here. Look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. God's saying, I'm not the one who has sinned here. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies. In other words, they run away from them, for they have become accursed. Hostile toward God and therefore worthy of destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. I won't be with you like I was in Jericho. See, everyone was clear on the ban. 
Everyone was clear you don't take anything from Jericho. You just don't. And Joshua didn't realize that someone took something that was under the ban. And God, in a sense, is saying, Joshua, you need to know that this is the truth. This is what's happened. And now I want to show you who that person is. Now I'm going to help you weed it out. I'm going to help you see who's the one that's brought trouble into the promised land. Look at verse 13. God says to Joshua, rise up, consecrate the people. That means set them apart for me, set them apart for my holy purposes, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come near by uh, man by man. In other words, we're going to get the whole nation of Israel together. And God is going to reveal of which tribe has you know, broken the ban, has broken the covenant. Then once we got the tribe, we're going to bring it down to the families of that tribe. Once we've got the families, we're going to bring it all the way down to the households. And once we come down to those households, we're going to go man by man and we're going to show you who is the one who broke the covenant, who is the one who brought this turmoil on the nation of Israel. Now, let me just stop a minute. Here's what happened. Someone stole something from Jericho while the soldiers were attacking Jericho. Stealing from Jericho. Why was the punishment so severe? I mean, look at this punishment, verse 15. It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. All he did was steal some stuff from Jericho. But I, I'll give you five reasons why this is punishable by death. The first one is this. It's a lack of reverence for God. Think about it. God brought the nation of Israel across the Jordan River. He gives them Jericho. I mean, this is like clearly God is in charge. We should really revere Him. But this person, whoever they may be, totally blows that off. Doesn't revere God at all. Secondly, the spoils were to be given to God. If there's anything precious, it was to be given to God. It was to acknowledge that this victory is God's victory, not our victory. And that he, we have to acknowledge His incredible power. Third, remember uh, as we've been going along that the nation of Israel recommitted itself to God. All the men were circumcised to say, we are committed to you, God. And then they followed that up by practicing the Passover meal, which they hadn't done much when they were in the wilderness. And that was to just praise God that He brought them where they're at and He's the one that rescues them and to praise Him where He's going to bring them. And then fifth, or I'm sorry, fourth, uh, whoever this person is, because they broke the ban and in breaking the ban has caused the nation of Israel to be a curse worthy of destruction, that person is responsible for the death of those 36 soldiers. 
the loss against I and the death of those soldiers. Finally, fifth, and this is what this verse says, because of this guy, disgrace has fallen on Israel and disgrace from the Amorites and the Canaanites and everybody around there has fallen on God. And all of that combined is punishable by death. Word got around, you know. I mean, word got around. People were talking. I mean, they knew that there was this defeat from I, and, and, uh, and, and everyone was worried. I mean, they even, it even says here, their hearts melted like water. They were worried, like, what's going to happen to us? I picture the guy who knows he stole the stuff. He knows that he's responsible for all of this turmoil. He knows that all of this unrest is because of what he did. You imagine being the guy. Imagine the pressure. Imagine that, that, that he's carrying this weight. He's thinking to himself, I would, I would assume, I can't say anything. There's no way I, I, I can say there's no way I can say anything. I mean, if I, if I say something, imagine the shame that, that it's going to come upon me. And I know that this is punishable by death. I mean, the consequences are heavy. Imagine being the guy. So what does he do? Keeps a tight lip. He keeps secrets. In our day, I think we keep secrets also because of the same pressure. The pressure of shame and the pressure of the consequences. I mean, somebody might say, imagine if I confess that I watch pornography. Imagine the shame. Imagine what my loved ones might think. Imagine if I tell my boss that I've stolen some of those things that we sell to our customers. I'm going to lose my job. I know I would. Imagine if I tell my parents that I lied to them. They're not going to be happy. I mean, I'm going to be grounded for like a month, you know? Yeah, we have similar pressures. So we keep secrets. We keep them from each other, and we keep them from God and the trouble, and the turmoil, and the barriers that go up, and relationships break down. We all know something is clearly not right, but do we have the courage to deal with it? Let's talk about how we confront trouble courageously. If there's trouble, if there's garbage that needs to be brought out into the light, here's how we confront trouble courageously. First of all, we need to give grace. Not shame, grace. Look at how grace was given both by the Lord and by Joshua. Verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel nearby tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites. And he brought the family of the Zerahites near, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. 
He brought the household near, man by man, and Akan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. The criminal was identified. Akan. I think he thought he could stay hidden. I think he thought, I'm not going to be found out. If I just keep my mouth shut. You know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I once thought, I, I, I'm not going to be found out. Um, I was like 12-ish years old, and some friends came over to our house, and we had the bright idea to play Ding Dong Ditch It. So there was, a, uh, there was a small neighborhood not too far from our house, and we went over to the neighborhood. And it was kind of a new neighborhood. On one side of the street, on the edge of the neighborhood, were all houses that were occupied. On the other side of the street was uh, empty lots. And in those empty lots, uh, the grass had grown tall, probably about this tall. And, and then behind those empty lots, there was a little mound. And then behind the mound was the woods, and in the woods came the river. And that was a great place to hide. So we're at this one house. Now, I don't know how it came about that I was the one to go up and ring the doorbell, but I was the one to go up and ring the doorbell. And all my friends are standing at the bottom of the driveway. And I, as I start going up the driveway to ring the doorbell, all of my friends take off across the street, through the grass, over the mound, and they're like looking from over the mound. So I'm all by my lonesome going up to the house and sneakily ringing the doorbell, and I turn to run, and I, by the time I get like down the driveway, I'm at the, at the road, and I hear from the door in the house, hey, you, and I get across the road, and I get into that grass, and I just lay down, and I got my arms crossed in front of me, and I'm laying flat on the ground. I'm thinking, he doesn't see me in the tall grass. There's no way he can see me in the tall grass. And then he's at the door, and he says, hey, get up here. He doesn't see me. There's no way he sees me. He can't see me. There's no way. This grass is too tall. It's too thick. There's no way he can see me. I said, get up here. He can't see me. There's no way. If you don't come up here, I'm going to come and get you. Uh, you know, he, he can't see me. There's no way he can see me. All right. Boom, 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 boom. Down his driveway, right across the street. He's standing over me in the grass, and I'm laying there, eyes closed as if that helps hide me can't see me. There's no way he can see me. There's no way he, he can't see me. I'm just thinking this in my heart. Stand up, he says. <laughs> I, don't, I, I hope he doesn't see me. Stand up or I'm picking you up. <laughs> Boosh, whoosh, picks me up off my feet. Tromps me back up the driveway. I'm like on my toes like, whoa, you know. I get back in the house. He sit, sits me down and he calls my parents. And I was busted. I think Aiken kept saying, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see me. There's no way he sees me. I'm hiding here in the tall grass. There's no way that he can see me. And God marched right up to him and he said, Aiken, obviously I could see you. <laughs> and I've seen you all along. But I think what God did in that moment was an act of grace. I think this whole idea of whittling it down from the nation to the tribe to the family to the household, I think it was an act of God's grace. 
I think he was trying to give Achan time after time after time to come clean. And so he brings Israel together and he says, Achan, I know it's you. It's an opportunity for you to come clean. And Achan says, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see me. I'm keeping my mouth shut. Brings it down to Judah. Achan, I picture God thinking, Achan, I know it's you. Let's do this. Come on. Admit it. And Achan's thinking, I'm keeping my secret. Nobody knows. I'm hiding, I'm hiding here. Nobody knows. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to say anything. Achan, we're bringing it down to the family. Now it's the time. Trust me, Achan. You've got to say it. It's you. He doesn't say a word. Brings it all the way down to his grandfather. Achan, your grandpa is still alive. In honor of your grandpa, Grandpa Zabdi, admit it, Achan. Achan still says nothing. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see me. Achan, it's you. You know it. I know it. Patient. Gracious. Offering Achan a chance. And Achan keeps thinking. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see me. I can keep this secret. And look at the graciousness that Joshua gives to Achan. Uh, I said Achan, it's Achan. Uh, after he's found out, look at verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to Him, and tell me now, what you have done. Do not hide it from me. You see what he calls him? My son. It's a term of endearment. I think this verse helps us to see the kind of leader that Joshua was. I think Joshua was like a father figure. That he was caring for his, his family. And you can just hear it in his words, can't you? You can hear that his heart is pained by this whole deal. And like a child caught with his hand in the cookie jar, Akan now needs to admit what he's done. He needs to confess. And he does. Look at verse 20. So Akan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle, that would be a beautiful robe from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, that's about five pounds of, of silver. And a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, that's about a pound and a quarter. Then I coveted them, took them. And behold, they are concealed in, my, in, the, in the earth inside my tent and the silver underneath it. Well, you read that, it kind of feels like a relief, doesn't it? Okay, it's out in the open. Okay, he finally... Brought it out into the light. No more secrets. No more hiding. Again, we hide because we fear. We fear the shame. We fear the consequences. If we are going to be a church that, that helps those things come out into the light when someone has done wrong, that help them bring it out into the light, we must be relentless at being a church that offers grace. 
uh, uh, we don't offer shame. We offer grace. Giving kindness even though someone may not deserve it. But we also have to offer justice. We must carry out justice. Giving grace doesn't always mean that we just sort of, you know, wink at stuff and just kind of brush it under the rug, you know, just never really deal with anything. Now, actually, um, we have to give grace, and yet it also means that we're not to ignore these things. It means we have to deal with them. Joshua started this process of justice by first confirming that what Akan had said is true. Look at verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver uh, underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Irrefutable evidence. Akan, you can't make up another story. The evidence is clear. You are guilty. My brother-in-law is a judge in Sauk County. His name is Judge Michael Skrenok. And uh, I called Mike yesterday because he's a follower after Jesus and a judge. And I said, so how do you balance, you know, between like justice and because you're a Christian giving people grace? How do you make that balance as a judge? And, and he said, when it comes to justice, um, as a judge, he is required to balance between punishment for the defendant. Punishment is a recognition that your actions uh, have to have consequences. And so I have to give you a punishment as a consequence of your actions. And also protecting the public for their future. So this person who has hurt the public, we have to protect the public from that person. But he also said that both the person, the defendant, and the public both need to know you can't get away with it. You're not allowed to get away with these things. And I think that's what Joshua was doing with Achan, or Achan, that you can't get away with it. And yet, Mike said, uh, and yet on the grace side, he said, I always remember that no matter who that person is, the defendant, that they are made in the image of God and they are infinitely loved by God. And he said, really, I convey grace in my demeanor. He said this, grace comes through my demeanor. I strive to never berate, embarrass, or humiliate the defendant. I think that's what Joshua was practicing with Akan. Uh, look at what it says in verse 24. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Akan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. You know, when we see it in print, it's hard to capture the emotion that Joshua was feeling at that moment. Yet, I think based on verse 19, how he called him my son, 
And he just had that fatherly heart. I think his emotion here is deep, deep sadness. And yet he knew he can't get away with it. I mean, your actions have consequences. And the rest of Israel needs to know you can't get away with this. It's, it, it, we will, this is wrong. We cannot have this ever again. So verse 25 goes on. In all Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. I wonder why, why the whole family? I mean, Akan, he's the, he's the guilty party. I mean, why, why all his sons and daughters? And, and, and why everything? You know, why? There's a lot of opinions out there as to why the whole family. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the rest of the family helped him commit the crime. I'm of the opinion that the rest of the family helped hide the crime afterwards as well. You see, there's no way that he could have hidden all of that stuff in his tent without his family knowing. And with, with all of um, the whittling down of families, everybody around him, they, they, all of them kept a tight lip. They kept secrets. And Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, that's a part of the law. It does say that the children cannot be punished for their father's sins. So the children must have been a part of the theft and the cover-up. And God said, all that belonged to him must be burned. Today, we're not under the old covenant. <laughs> Today, we're not under the Mosaic law. Today, we are not Israel. We are the church. And we live not in the age of the law, we live in the age of grace. Yet in our day, we still have to practice grace and we have to practice justice. We still have to see every person made in the image of God and infinitely loved by Him and therefore we must give them grace. Yet we must courageously practice justice as well. We have to communicate, you can't get away with sin. And you can't get away with it because it's harmful for you and it's harmful to others. In the church, we must practice church discipline. And yet, I think it's unique for every case. My brother-in-law, Mike, when he has a case before him and he is sentencing them, uh, he actually has flexibility under the law to to um, sentence different people differently given their unique situation. And he told me his goal in the punishment is to rehabilitate the defendant. I think that's a good goal for us. Any discipline that we would need to carry out, any justice that we would need to stand up for, that it would be our goal to rehabilitate people. To help bring wholeness to their lives. And finally, the nation of Israel, and I think we too, must always remember God's love. Remember that God loves us infinitely 
and unconditionally. This is what Israel did in the end. Look at verse 26. It says, They raised over him, Akan, a great heap of stones that stands to this day. That would be like 20 years later when Joshua wrote this. Actually, it stood for decades after this if you read the rest of the Old Testament. And the Lord turned from His fierceness of His anger, and therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accor to this day. Accor means trouble. The Valley of Trouble to this day. To this day, they're saying, we can look back on that pile of stones and say that was a really bad chapter in our life. There was a lot of trouble in that chapter of of our life. And yet, we can also say, but God has removed His fierce anger so that we can go forward. So that we can go forward with Him. The pile of stones today is the cross of Jesus Christ. God's fierce anger against your sin and my sin was placed on His Son, Jesus. He died so that we don't have to live in our sin anymore. So it was paid for. We can say, okay, I know that was a bad chapter in my life. But Lord Jesus, because of what You've done for me, I can go forward. I don't have to keep wallowing in that old stuff. I can move forward. Yeah, it's shaped me. Yeah, it's mold- Yeah, it's affected me. But, but Lord, help me to go forward with You. The nation of the Israel said, okay, we can go forward with the Lord now. You and I can go forward with Him also. The shed blood of Jesus Christ paid for your sins and my sins. The fierce anger of God was laid on His Son so that we would be forgiven, that we'd be new creatures in Him. It's actually why we take communion. We, we always remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We always remember that He's the one who, who in a sense is that pile of stones that, that, that God is now not mad at us, not, not holding our sin against us, but now it was all laid on Jesus and therefore we can go forward with Him. How are you doing with Jesus? How's your relationship with Him today? Even those of you who have trusted Him as your Savior, how, how are you doing with Him? I think communion is a time when we reflect back and we say, okay, uh, you know, Lord, uh, I think there are some things that's gotten in the way of our relationship. There are things that I think aren't right with us, and I want to confess them to you. I want to get right with you again. I want to, I want to put that behind me, and I want to move forward with you. So that's why we'll take communion to do this in remembrance of Jesus.